The other day, I was driving my son along the freeway, and we were listening to music, and then the commercials came on. And all of a sudden, my son, he's, he's five years old, he says, Dad, that man on the radio is lying. I said, how is he lying? And he said, well, he just said, good times all the time. And if you've heard the slogan for Morongo Casinos, good times all the time, you would understand. And in the mind of a five-year-old, he understood that dad, it's not good times all the time. Sometimes are devastating. Sometimes are trying. Sometimes are difficult. Sometimes are good. And sometimes not so good. But certainly not good times all the time. And even a five-year-old could understand that. This morning, we're going to find ourselves in the book of James. And James tells us the same thing as he opens up in James chapter 1. Will you turn there with me? But James offers some hope in the midst of the recognition that life is not good times all the time. There are some difficult times. And in James 1, starting with verse 2 through 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, this has been a struggle of mine for a while to consider it pure joy whenever I face trials of many kinds. And he doesn't specifically say what the trials are because he knows that we're going to be going through trials of many kinds. And personally, I can relate to this passage. This has been a, a, a theme passage for me to continue to go to year after year, month after month, week after week, and day after day at times because we recognize that life is a struggle through the trials of many kinds. Last time I was here, I, I was very impressed with the, with the family environment that, that you have at this church. I, I certainly see it. I, I understand it. I get it. Uh, but one of the things that, that impressed me the most, not that you were here to impress me by any means, but, but I felt a connection when you gathered around Norm and prayed for him and extended your hands out and, and gathered together as a congregation and, and prayed for him because these were things that, that I used to do at, at my church growing up. I remember what they called the chair of prayer where they would bring a chair up on the, on the, on the uh, stage they would set the person up there that was very much in need of prayer, either uh, physical healing or emotional healing or going through some trials and just gather around him or her and pray. And so that experience that, that you offered that week for me was just dialing back to my childhood and some things that I experienced with family connection. And, and, and no doubt with Lucas's sermon in that, I, I felt a family connection. But I was also intrigued with the name of your church. From the very beginning, when, when Sandy mentioned to me, Joy Christian Center, I thought, wow, Joy Christian Center. 
And the title of my message today is a play off of the, the, the name of your church because I titled my message this morning, Joy in the Christian Center. Because very much in the central aspect of our walk with Christ is a joy that transcends circumstances. Because the circumstances of my life are, are going to go up and down. There's going to be extreme highs, and there certainly have been. I can take you back to my wedding day and say that was a very big high of my life. And in the days that my three children were born, each one of their birthdays, an extreme high. And I could go on and on with the great blessings of things that, that God has blessed me with. That these moments by moments have brought extreme highs of, of happiness and excitement. But I can also tell you of times of extreme pain and sorrow. I could share that I was present at the moment that my grandmother passed away. We knew that my grandmother was going to pass away. She was 89 years old, and although she wouldn't say vocally what her struggle was, uh, we all believed that it was cancer, and she just didn't tell anybody that she had cancer. But she slowly, over about a year and a half's time, faded away to the point where she just passed away of exhaustion. But I remember May 4th. So when anybody ever says, may the 4th be with you, yes, May the 4th will always be with me as the day that my grandmother passed away. I had taken that day off. I would say randomly, but I don't think that anything happens by accident or randomly. But I had taken that day off because there was a minor league baseball game being played in the morning, and my kids love baseball, and I wanted to take them to a baseball game. So I took the day off. I took them to the minor league baseball game, and on my way home, I got a text from my mother saying, your grandmother's fading fast. Please come as soon as you can. And I took that as an emergency call, and as my grandmother's pastor and my grandmother's grandson, I, I felt like I wanted to go see her before she passed away. So I got there to her home about 2.30 at a time that I, I would not have made it had I been working that day because we worked until 3 o'clock. I most likely would not have gotten to her home until about 4.30 with all of the things that we have to do at the end of a school day and traffic on the way to her house and Yet I was there, present with her, holding her hands in prayer when she breathed her last breath around 4 p.m. And as sad as that is, it gives me great comfort to know that I was there when my grandmother passed away. And I knew that my grandfather would, would need me because he, he had been married to her 60 years. <laughs> Imagine. And, and, and so you've got a situation here where there's, there's, there's no way to say what a blessing these things are when you're holding the hand of a loved one and they go from this world into the kingdom of God. There's no doubt my grandmother heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. But these are things that we recognize are, are the trials of life, aren't they? And James tells us to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, whether it's a, a struggle, and, and I know that we've been praying for Norm. I don't know all the details, and I don't even know if you do. To be honest, right now, I don't know what you're going through. You're saying you don't even know right now. But God is in the midst of it. I can promise you that. No matter what trial it is, 
Consider it pure joy. Now, that sounds like a foreign language to some people. Consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Too many times we equate the, the joy of the Christian life with happiness. And I would just ask that we don't do that. Because happiness comes and goes. I could get some news today on my way out in the parking lot that would bring me great happiness. And there may be a lot of people who are happy, but they don't have joy in their heart. And there are a lot of people who are hurting and suffering right now, and many of you might be in that situation. But you do have joy. In fact, you know that joy is at the very Christian center of your life. But we continue because the Word has a lot to say about the purpose of trials and experiencing joy and, and, and what these trials can produce in our lives. I think of what Paul has to say in Romans 5, 1 through 5. In Romans 5, 1 through 5, Paul would say this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Wow, there you go. Glory in our sufferings. Because we know, now watch this progression, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And it doesn't end there. Hope, he says, does not put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So suffering, producing perseverance, producing character, and character, hope. A character and a hope that I may not attain unless I go through the suffering and the perseverance. Now, personally, I, I like the, the movies, the Rocky Balboa movies. I'm a big Rocky Balboa fan. And maybe it's because I'm a big Italian guy with a squinty eye, but I like Rocky Balboa. And one of the things that I love about Rocky Balboa is the relationship that he has with his trainer, Mickey. And Mickey's there in the corner while Rocky Balboa is getting beat up in the ring. Talk about trials of many kinds. But he, he's facing these guys that are bigger than him, stronger than him, in some cases younger than him. And he's taking the beating of a lifetime. And there's Mickey in the corner cheering him on, feeling the pain along with him, cleaning up the wounds and cheering him on the whole time. But there's one scene that, that, that I just love. It's the scene when Rocky Balboa is down, and he's almost down for the count. And Mick yells, get up, you bum. Mickey loves you. Let me tell you that when I'm going through the struggles and the trials, and I'm being knocked down, whether it's at the loss of my grandmother or some of the trials that I've had in my own church, some of the trials that I've had when my father was diagnosed with cancer and my father is still alive today, but the chemo and the radiation and, and the therapies that he's had has brought so much ailment to his body that it's extreme suffering. 
um, he can definitely agree that absent from the body and present with the Lord would be better than these current circumstances that he's in. But yet he continues to persevere through the struggles because he knows that through perseverance develops character and character hope. And when I go through these struggles, they are kind of like boxing matches. It's a left hook out of nowhere when you get surprising news that your father has cancer. It's a, it's a, it's a thrust to the gut when you're holding your grandmother's hand and she passes away and you turn around and your grandfather is just in tears and feeling devastated and can't even speak. And now I have to turn from grieving for my grandmother to comforting my grandfather. These are punches and, and, and wounds that, 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 that come upon me, but then I hear the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you see, is my Mickey in the corner because the Holy Spirit will remind me, get up, you bum. Jesus loves you. And when I've been knocked down for the count, that's what helps me get up. And I'm grateful for the trials. I'm grateful for the difficulties. One of the things that I realize is that wounds can produce scars, and scars, <laughs> see where we're going, can produce great strength. They certainly serve as a great memory of where I've been and a great testimony because who doesn't like to share their scars? A great testimony of where, I, where I'm going and what I can offer to others who might be hurting. For if I came to you with a story of there are, 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 are trials of many kinds and be joyful, and I told you that I've never struggled in my life with anything, I, I'd have nothing really to offer you. But if I can share with you today some deep wounds, some punches in the gut, some left hooks, and yet be reminded of the great calling of Christ and the Holy Spirit in my life, get up, you bum, because Jesus loves you. It helps us to persevere through the trials of many kinds, no, no matter what those trials may be. I want to share with you something that happened this last week that extremely, it, it, it broke my heart. My brother is going to get married in, in August. And he's 32 years old. He's a, an actor in New York, and, uh, and, and he's going to come to California and, and get married, and I believe they're going to stay in this area, and, and they're going to, to, to try to build a life out here in California with the family. And we're very excited about that. His best man is a year older than he is, 33 years old. His best man is, is a boy that he grew up with that was our neighbor, and I'll remember him very well as Brian, because Brian would come over all the time, he was always in our pool. He was always eating our dinner. He was always hanging out. And, and to me, Brian was just like one of the brothers because he was always around. And his family, who lived across the street from us, uh, was, was close with my father because uh, both of the, 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 the father figures in the house were attorneys. And so my father and Brian's father were really close friends and developed a close relationship as attorneys. And so we were like family. But this last week, Brian struggled with the flu. And this flu, whatever's going around this season, is just horrible. But 33-year-old boy, I call him a boy because he's young to me. He's like a little brother. 
But a 33-year-old man goes to see the doctor because he's got the flu. And while he's being treated for the flu and he's in the doctor's office, he goes to full cardiac arrest. And they, they rush him to the hospital and on the way he goes into another cardiac arrest. He's unconscious on a life support machine. And we're just praying for him. They give him any kind of treatments that they possibly can and nothing seems to be working. And then last Sunday, I got a text saying Brian passed away. A 33-year-old, I'm going to call him a boy because he is a boy in my eyes. When I think of Brian, I just think of a little kid hanging out of my house. Same age as my little brother. And now my little brother lost his best friend and his best man. And the funeral service was yesterday. But it gets worse. Because about four years ago, Brian's older brother, J.D., passed away as well with heart complications. Basically had a heart attack and he passed away. So now this family, John and Terry Ziska, have lost two out of three children and their two sons. They do have a daughter. And what can I offer them? In the midst of a trial of many kinds, you want to tell me about a trial of many kinds, there are many kinds of trials. This one is unique. I can't even imagine having three children of my own, what it would be like to lose a child. I can try to, but I can't imagine that. And so how can I approach someone who I can't even imagine their grief right now? What can I offer them? Sometimes things get so bad that, that there's not a whole lot you can offer in that time except your presence, except the love of Christ, except a peace that I'm praying for them that the Bible says transcends all understanding in your time of need. And that's what I have to offer. But imagine what this family is going through. I think it would be difficult enough to lose one child and yet to lose two, and so suddenly they are certainly going through a trial of some kind. And this family definitely needs prayer. Would you continue to, to pray for them as you think of them? Their, their name is Ziska, Terry and John, and they've lost two sons, J.D. and Brian. But I want to offer today three biblical examples of suffering. Three biblical examples of trials that maybe we can get a little bit of a perspective on as, as we analyze. Because we go through the book of Job and we see a man who is blameless and upright, don't we? We see a man that, that didn't, as far as Scripture tells us, didn't really do anything to deserve any punishment or any of the afflictions that he's gone through. The Bible says he's an upright man. And, and Satan approaches God and asks permission to, 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 to persecute Job and and God says, okay, go for it. He's my faithful servant. He's going to be faithful. And we know that all of the trials that Job goes through are, are for the purpose of testing his character. Right back to what we were talking about here, what, what Paul has to say about this development of suffering to perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And Job goes through some incredible testings 
and trials. And I can imagine being Job in the situation where all of his friends are coming along and saying, well, it must be something you've done to deserve this because I've never seen anybody suffer without being punished for something. And he's kind of tagging along saying, but that's not the reason. Or the wife that comes along. This is, this is pretty nasty. I mean, Job's own wife comes to him in Job 2, 9 and 10 and says, curse God and die. That it would be better for you to die than endure this suffering. And Job's response, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? That's a great question. Because Job's going through many trials of many kinds and his wife comes along, I'd imagine one of the people that he's closest to and says, curse God and die. And his response is, no. I'm not going to curse God and die. Shall we accept only good from God and praise Him only when things are good? Or should I recognize that there's also bad times and praise Him when things are bad? And that, I believe, is Christian maturity. It's a great maturity of faith to be able to accept the negative and also praise Him, praise Him. That's the challenge. So I'm going to offer that to you. Are you somebody who only praises Him when things are going well? And when things are not going so well and it's a trial and it's a struggle, do, do you turn your back on Him? Or do you continue to praise Him and recognize that all things are from God? Now, I believe that all things are from God, but not all things are good. Certainly, there's some horrible things. And, and when Paul says that, that God's working all things together for good, he doesn't say that all things are good. But he does say that all these things are working out, are working out for a good. And that's where the trust comes in. Certainly, Job has a mature faith to be able to trust God that while the things that he's receiving are not good, in and of themselves. Horrible tragedies coming upon this man. God is there working it out for his good. Because why? Because the, the suffering produces perseverance. The perseverance character and the character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. So Job would be one example of somebody who, who, who suffers greatly doesn't turn his back on God when he's suffering. And although God does, I want to say, reward him or offer him blessings at the end, I, I don't personally believe in a, in a give-to-get theology. I don't believe that Job went through this as, as some kind of deal that he knew he was going to get from God in the end. In the moments that he suffered, he, all he knew was the suffering. He was left with more questions than answers. To be honest with you, I'm sometimes left with more questions than answers. For the Ziska family, personally, I have more questions than answers. But I trust God that while not all things are good, God is working together. He's working together for my good. I consider also John 11. In John 11 is the story of the death and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. 
And I find that story fascinating because Jesus hears of the news of Lazarus' suffering from out of town. And he doesn't come right away. I would imagine that if my phone started ringing right now and my mom texts me and say, Dad is in the hospital, had an emergency heart attack, he's fading and you only have a couple of minutes to come to the hospital, I'd have to say I'd most likely drop everything and expect some people to understand that and go see him as soon as possible. But from what we see in, in John 11, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he knows of, of Lazarus' suffering and yet he doesn't drop everything and, and go right away. And I find a, a passage here in John 11, 17 through 21, to be rather fascinating. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he heard about this earlier, and, and now he finds that, that, that his friend Lazarus has been gone and dead in that tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And this is the part I find interesting. John eleven twenty one, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Ooh. She knows that if Jesus would have come earlier and been there even at the last moment, that with the healing power of Christ, that, that, that he could have maybe done something about this, at least been there, what we would say, in time. But Jesus does comfort her and say, this is not going to end in death. Now, now, he has to die in order for there to be a raising of Lazarus. If Lazarus is not dead, then he can't, perform this great resurrection and this great miracle to demonstrate his power and authority as the Messiah, as the Son of God, to be able to bring the dead back. And so there is a purpose, but here's what I want you to see. It's easy for us to, to read John 11 and see it from our eyes. That is the past looking at a, a past historical event. And, and we're in the future looking back at the past as something that happened back there. But I want you to take a look at this from the perspective of the people living it. From Mary and Martha's perspective in the moment. Because I don't have the luxury when I'm going through a trial and I'm counseling somebody through pastoral counseling through the trial that they're in right now to go into the future and say, okay, here's how God's worked it out. Because I don't see that right now. I trust that he's working it out. But I don't know how that's going to come about right now in the middle of the trial now we know now looking back and reading the rest of the story how christ worked it out i mean he, he brought lazarus back from the dead and, and performed this great miracle and demonstrated his power and authority to be able to resurrect the dead that's incredible that's awesome but putting yourself in the perspective of lazarus is still in the tomb Jesus shows up late, and I know that he could have done something about this had he shown up when Lazarus was still alive. And I'm brokenhearted because my brother just passed away. Put yourself in their situation. When Jesus responds, this, kind will not, this thing will not end in death, and yet your brother dies, you're thinking, 
how is that going to happen? But what we don't see is what happens next. In the great miracle when Jesus says, come out! And there we see that that situation did not end in death. Because we know the rest of the story. Lazarus comes out and Jesus performs this incredible miracle that would get so much attention that it would either cause a divide of people who would really truly love him and follow him or want him crucified just a little bit later. So we see that in the story of Job, as well as Lazarus, but, but I want to offer also what I see as the greatest example of a trial that is extremely unfair, undeserving, unwarranted from my perspective, and yet produces one of the greatest goods of all time, and that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And here we, we find ourselves in the beginning of March, just a few weeks away from celebrating Easter and, and, and focusing on Good Friday before that. And students that I teach at school often ask, why is it called Good Friday? And I go, oh, oh because the bad things that happened to Christ on that Friday were for our good. Talk about a great example of God using something that is horrific. Not only crucifixion, but crucifixion of an innocent man for the good of our salvation. Because Jesus had to die. The Son of God had to come and experience this in order for us to be saved. It was part of God's plan, I believe, all along. And yet what we see here is one of the greatest, I, I see it as one of the greatest evils of all time being produced as one of the greatest goods. I don't know, again, I would offer you this challenge because I don't know, again, what it would be like to be in that context, in that time. To be Jesus' mother, there at the foot of the cross, seeing her son being crucified. I don't know what that would be like. As far as we know from Scripture, there's only one follower of Christ, as far as the apostles are concerned. There's only one male follower of Christ there at the, the foot of the cross is John. We wonder where the others were and probably scattered around fearful of their own life. But we know that there were many other women there. The women followers were there. Names them by name there in the gospel. They were faithful to, 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 to witness and see this great evil event that was taking place. But as, as, you, as you get a little closer and closer to Good Friday and Easter, I would invite you to read those, those gospel messages about the suffering of Christ and the crucifixion narrative, but read it this time through the eyes of the people that were there. Rather than the end that we already know has come, read it from hearing it maybe for the first time with fresh and new eyes. And ask myself, if I were Mary and I were watching my son being crucified, how would I feel during this moment? If I'm John, one of his beloved disciples, and I'm there watching this in that moment, how would I feel? And I think there we'll be able to get a little bit more sensitivity 
towards those who are in the midst of a trial, in the midst of struggling. So here we do. We see, we see three examples in Scripture. We see one from the Old Testament in Job, and we see another in, in the raising of Lazarus where the people didn't understand in the time what was going on. And, and we also see this great crucifixion narrative. And we wonder, what it, would it be like to be in the midst of that experience in each one of those cases? Rather than reading it from we're in the future, this is a historical event, and we all know how the stories pan out. Maybe we ought to examine it from fresh eyes. Reading it as one of the characters, though, and experiencing it a little bit more on a deeper emotional level. Because when I do that personally and I read Scripture, trying to see it from the eyes of those participating in it, it just comes alive off the page for me. It comes off the page to me in a way that might not otherwise. There are some that when I teach theology and, and Bible at, at, at the high school, that they're just there with the textbook and they're opening it, reading it as a textbook. I said, the Bible's not a textbook. It's the living word of God. And every word can speak truth into our hearts. That's why when I preach through a book, I don't skip over the genealogies. Because <laughs> there's some people who can fall asleep, but I tell you, I, I come alive even in the genealogies, when we can understand that every piece is the living word of God that speaks to us. And I'm encouraged by that, greatly encouraged by that. I also want <clears throat> to discuss Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Because in the book of Philippians, Paul recognizes that there's something going on in this church that the people aren't getting along. There, there's some kind of struggle or, or trial happening in, in the church of Philippi. And in Philippians 4, 1 through 7, he's pleading with people to get along. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose name are in the book of life. And then here's the message that he has. So he said, I'm appealing to you to, to come together and work this out. And then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is what I would offer you. Joy Christian Center. Is joy in the center of your Christian experience. Because I believe that if Christ is at the center of my life, I will also experience joy. Joy in the midst of the, the most horrific experiences because my life is not going to be based on experiences. I'm not going to get too happy, you see, when things are too good. You get too down when things are too down. Not anything wrong with sadness. Believe me, I've cried my tears over Brian. But there's this perspective of, of, of joy 
that meets me in the middle and allows me to recognize that, that even if I were to get everything I wanted out of life, that I might, might be happy, but you know what? I might not because I don't know what's best for me. And I'm grateful that God does know. Because if I got everything I wanted, I'd be miserable. I can't even be my own magic genie. I would ruin my life. I'm grateful for the times that I've prayed and asked for things and God's given me something else. I remember I waited a long time before I met my wife. I was, well, a long time ago. <laughs> no, I was, I was 32 years old when I got married. I waited a long time because I didn't want to compromise. I didn't want to marry somebody that, that wasn't right for me. It took me a long time, but I'll tell you what, once I did meet her, it didn't take very long for us to get engaged and get married with her father's blessing, who her father was a pastor. And I always wondered, as a pastor, who's going to perform my wedding service? It was, it was a question that I had. I'd have, I'm the one going around performing the wedding service for people, and I don't know that I could perform my own wedding service. That would be kind of odd. So I often pray. I say, well, God, if I'm following, I'm the pastor. Like, who is going to do this for me? And I might know some people, but it just worked out that my father-in-law was a pastor. And when he gave his blessing, he had been diagnosed about six months before with leukemia and cancer. So he came to me and he said, when, when, we, when we had our conversation, because I didn't know my wife very long. We, we dated for about six months and then we were married. And for some of you, that's just crazy. But if, if God is in it, <laughs> it, doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. And, and so here's what you have to understand. I met my wife in September. I went to meet her parents who lived in Illinois in November at, uh, at Thanksgiving. And at that point, I knew I wasn't most likely going to be able to see them very often. So I kind of felt like I knew that God was calling me to, to, to marry my wife. And I knew that weekend, of Thanksgiving weekend, I would need to talk to her father and get his blessing. But talk about some awkwardness. Because I've only known his daughter for a little time, September to November, and I feel God calling me to, uh, to, to ask his permission to marry her. I didn't know what he was going to say. He could have said, give it more time. You need to be with her for at least a year or what. But I remember just the feeling of blessing when uh, I'm waiting till the last minute, mind you. He's a pastor, so he's preaching on Sunday and our plane leaves at one o'clock on Sunday. So Sunday is not an option for me. I have to ask him at some point on that weekend and time is ticking because now it's Saturday dinner and I haven't asked him yet. And he says, I'm going to go to the store and get some goodies for church the next day. And I looked at, that's my opportunity. Can I come with you? <laughs> so I, I, I'm sitting there in the car. We make it all the way to the store, and I haven't said anything yet. We get everything that we need. We pack up the car. We're halfway back home, and I still haven't said anything yet. And then it comes out. And then he just starts riding, driving around. And we circle that house and take the dirt roads. Now, this is at a farm in Illinois where there really are no lights. Everything's dark. And he's driving me down roads. I don't know where I'm going. He, he could have taken me out some farm somewhere and done with me and buried me somewhere. Nobody would have found the body to this day. But what he said was, he 
said, I've spent my life praying for you that God would bring a godly man for my daughter. And he certainly asked me some practical questions about my job and plans and security and these things. And then he agreed that he would come out to California and perform the, the wedding service for us. And he did. Two weeks from now, March 16, will be our wedding anniversary, and I'm grateful that he did because he didn't have much time left. He performed our, our wedding service, and then a year later, uh, my son was born, and then a year later, he passed away. So he did get to, to, to meet my, my, my son, my oldest son, which I'm grateful for. But for the other kids, my daughter and my youngest son, they just see pictures of Gramps on the wall, and they know him through the memories and through the pictures. But I'm grateful in God's timing. Because what some people would say, we've only known her for this amount of time. Yes, but when God's in it, that's all that matters. And yet I see this, that, that this, this horrible situation of losing my father-in-law. But let me encourage you with this. Is somebody who has most recently seen a lot of people in my life pass away, whether it has been loved ones in the church that I pastored, and then I saw that, that church just kind of fade away down to six people. It was, it was heartbreaking for us. And, and, and when we would pray as a, as a board and as a pastor of what to do, we, we did get to the point where we just decided that it was better to disseminate as an organization and disseminate funds and just everybody go our separate ways. And, and part of that is what's brought me to you today to be able to bring the word today. Because if I was still preaching in Baldwin Park, I wouldn't have Sunday morning to, to be here with you. And I'm, I'm praying that God open doors. Certainly, he's opened the door for me to be here this morning, and for that I'm grateful. And I think whenever God closes something, he will open up anew. And some of the things that I've seen him bless with, we sold that property for $400,000, and then through 501c3, I, I couldn't keep the money. I wish I could. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But I couldn't. There's no way. It's illegal. What we had to do was we hired an attorney and we disseminated those funds into various organizations that are 501c3 and to be receiving letters back of, of how it's been a blessing to these churches and these organizations in need has been a huge blessing to me to know that we did the right thing. It, it, it didn't feel necessarily right at that time, but it was because it was a trial of yet another time. And just now, a year later, I'm starting to see the fruit and the blessing of some of those difficult and hard and challenging decisions from the past. I'm going to close with this thought because I, I, I do believe that we need to be in a sense of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Letting our gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with thanksgiving, prayers and petitions offered to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. And that, for me, is what it is. I don't expect to have understanding for the Ziska family right now. But I expect to have peace when I'm in a situation that I don't understand. Losing my father-in-law. Difficult challenge right when my son is just starting to grow up. And now he's not able to experience his grandchildren but the great blessing of him being able to marry his daughter off to a godly man and go rest in peace knowing that his daughter would be taken care of. That's a blessing. It's the way that God works things out. 
And I think even, even just recently, the, the, the passing of Billy Graham and, and hearing from his doctor that he basically just didn't wake up from sleep and he just faded away. And the sense of being so exhausted and so tired that your soul just leaves your body and no doubt you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm going to close with one of my favorite nursery rhymes because my kids, they're at that nursery rhyme stage right now. And, and, and so we sing the, say these nursery rhymes to, to our kids and they oftentimes give their interjection and, and, and thoughts and that. And, and so we're familiar with Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But I've got knucklehead kids. They, they don't stop with the stories. They've got to ask questions. And one of the questions that they asked me was, Dad, how come they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again? How come they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together? I remember, that's a good question. That's a good question. And maybe one of the reasons, as Tony Evans would say, that Humpty Dumpty and the people trying to piece him back together again were just as Humpty Dumpty as Humpty Dumpty was. And when brokenness is trying to fix brokenness, it doesn't work. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but they didn't say anything about the king. The king can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Our king is Jesus Christ. So when you feel broken, when you feel broken, Realize that part of this trials of many kinds and joy amidst the trials is about God putting Humpty Dumpties, because we're all Humpty Dumpty, back together again. And I want to thank you personally for this opportunity to come speak to you today because I, I have been through brokenness of many kinds. Whether it's been the loss of loved ones that I've shared with you today or, or the broken situation of my church, even though I feel like now it's, it's gone through a great situation and been a blessing to many, that was a broken situation for me a year ago. And yet God is about putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. Today I, I simply come to you as Humpty Dumpty. And I'm just as Humpty Dumpty as anybody else. But God is about putting it all back together again, piece by piece. And those wounds will one day be scars that are going to make <laughs> one great story and one great testimony. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for this opportunity to speak at Joy Christian Center. And I pray, Lord, that as we've examined Scripture and we've looked at stories, we've looked at the writings of, of Paul and his perspective, and we've looked at James and what he has to offer, that whatever we are going through, we know that we have been through trials of many kinds and we know that we will continue to go through trials of many kinds. We know that we're going to have loved ones who go through trials of many kinds. And may we offer this hope that while we are broken people trying to help broken people heal and mend, that we can't always do this on our own. We need the one who is the king to come along and piece together the brokenness of the Humpty Dumpties of the world. 
We thank you, Lord, that we serve a God who heals. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who, who mends wounds, who heals the brokenhearted. And we're grateful, Lord, that you yourself took on the nails of the cross in your hands, in your feet, and you were pierced in your side. And through your brokenness on the cross, physically, we can recognize that there's great hope that our eternal life does not end with brokenness, but it ends with healing. In your name I pray, amen.